please, let's stand up for a few moments. Amen. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Father, we thank you for the blessing of this day. You're just an amazing God, allowing us, Lord, to face even challenges today or even joyful moments, Lord. But we thank you that we're alive and that we're here. And we thank you for the many blessings that we have already in you and those that are promised that will come as well. Lord, I pray that at this moment you will open our minds and make our hearts receptive, make the word alive, Lord, that we might be able to engage and allow the Holy Spirit to work on our journey so that we may honor you in every way that we can. We thank you, praying this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Come on, look at your neighbor and tell him it's good to see you here today. Before you sit down, just tell him that. It's good to see you here today. Amen. 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 You may be seated. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm glad you're here and not in Reese Park and at the Orchard Beach. And I'm glad you're here today. Praise the Lord. God is good. Amen. We bless and greet those that are watching us via Ustream. God bless them richly as well. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And what a great day God has given us. I'm glad you're here. Uh, we welcome all of our friends and visitors and pray the blessing of the Lord over you in a very special way. A few weeks ago, we started this series about family. And we started a three sessions. Today's the third session about family matters. And we went back to journey through scripture to find out what was the template that we can use or the launching point, if you will, that we can use to understand family and enjoy family. And as we started to unpack the model, sometimes it makes us a little bit uncomfortable and we feel kind of awkward. Uh, and I think the awkwardness and uncomfortableness might continue today because all I really want to do over this four-part series is to lay a foundation of what the Bible says for us is the right model. Some of you might not align yourselves right now to that model, or perhaps you've fallen away from that model, but we need to have a starting point of what the original manufacturer wanted for us. Amen? And that's with regard to family. I stated in the opening session that there's two lasting institutions that we find in Scripture that God provided for mankind. We talked about that in the Old Testament, it was family and the importance of family. And then we looked in the New Testament, we saw that it was the church, that entity, that organization, that organism, if you will, uh, that allowed men, uh, there was a gift of God for mankind in order to be able to experience God at certain levels in their journey. And we started this focus on uh, uh, three sessions ago. Today's the third. We will conclude on Wednesday. Don't miss out on Wednesday because Wednesday I'm going to do an overview and, and a, pastor, a pastoral insight on the things that we have learned. In the last session, we talked about singleness and the importance of that first institution that oftentimes we make the mistake and think that the very first institution was marriage. Well, no, biblically speaking, it was singleness. You know, Adam was not created married. He was created alone. And then later on, as we will see in today, uh, the Lord saw that he, was, uh, that he needed a companion. Uh, so God, the first institution was, uh, was singleness. And we concluded in the last session that it is important for you to understand the power of one, the power of, that you have as an individual. You don't need someone in your life to make you better. All you need is Jesus in your life, and that will make you better. And then you become a gift to someone else. And oftentimes we enter into relationships trying to fix something in our journey or getting out of the house where we grew up in or whatever, and it ends up being the wrong reason. So marriage is really made up of two uh, whole, individual, self-actualized people 
that because of love and only because of love decide to enter into uh, this relationship. Today what I want to do is focus all of my attention on this uh, institution called marriage. And I want to entitle the sermon today, Marriage Matters. Now, if you're not mar married, it matters for you as well. Because listen to me closely. Based on the last session, I'm just going to continue the connection today. If married is, marriage is made up of two healthy individuals, then we need to make sure that we, as, we are as healthy as we can in order to have an effective marriage and have an excellent marriage. So if you're single by choice, single by divorce, single by because you're a widow or you just uh, never want to be with anybody, and that's fine too, uh, this session is definitely for you. Listen closely because we're going to learn some things from the biblical pattern. If you've been married, whether happily married or unhappily married, you can't believe you're still married or you don't know if you will continue being married, wherever your mind might be, come on, say hallelujah or whatever. Hallelujah. Amen. Because uh, I can only see your face. I can't read your heart. Amen. Uh, this will help you as well because it'll help you. If you've recently divorced and you know, you've gone through that painful time or been divorced for a while or widowed, this was going to help you to understand what is the framework that God has uh, for marriage. And we understand, and I'm losing the text found in Genesis 2, verses 18 through 25. And as I go through the sermon today, and I'll be preaching, teaching um, uh, through the sermon, we'll, we'll pick the passages that, that we have there, some uh, little vignettes that we find in there. But, you know, God had always intended the perfect plan for marriage. When God brought for us marriage and presented it and introduced it of humanity, he wasn't doing something that was not completely perfect in his sight. God's intention and plan was for man to be married uh, forever. And we know that that is not the case today, but we're talking about God's original intent and original plan. His perfect plan was that marriage would be perfect, that marriage would be, between, be, would be between a man and a woman. We studied that already. That's coming right out of Scripture. And that that uh, marriage would be a lasting marriage forevermore. We also studied to Scripture that because of man's own deformity and depravity, God then allowed divorce to come in, but that wasn't part of God's original plan. His original plan was to be together forever and live in marriage bliss. I really, I really believe that God want, has always wanted and still wants marriage to be a mind-blowing experience. You don't believe that? If you don't believe that, don't get married. Do not get married. I believe that God intended for marriage to be a mind-blowing experience. I believe that God intended marriage to be a chandelier swinging experience. All right? Can you envision, the, can you envision that? No, let's, let's stay with me. Stay with me because I'm going somewhere with this. That was God's original plan in Scripture. Now, later on, because of sinfulness in man and in his creation and the deformity of man, then it changed. And then God allowed people to divorce. But that was not God's original plan. And marriage is held in such a high level that even in our church circles, don't we call the church the bride of Christ? And don't we say that in the final appearance before the Lord in our eternity up there in heaven, there's going to be a wedding feast? In fact, if you do comparative comparisons between religion, you will find that even in Catholicism, they hold marriage so high that if you're a true Catholic, you can only get married in a church because it's a sacrament. I don't know if you knew that. You can't go get married at Central Park. 
You have to get married in a Catholic church because it's held up as a sacrament, like communion, uh, like baptism, considered a sacrament. And in Catholicism, even the church is sacred in, 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 its, in its entity. So that's how high it is, is raised. I want us to be able to be looking up at marriage. God wants to elevate marriage, not to cheapen it and bring it down. We're living in a culture that it's, it's cheapening it and bringing it down. But marriage was a creation of God for the, uh, for the betterment of humanity. And so he had a perfect plan for marriage. And it was a plan where a man and a woman would be joined together forever. It was a covenant that would never be broken. And we have to understand that, that marriage is not an agreement or a contract. It includes those things. But I want to submit to you the word covenant. It is a covenant between a man and a woman. And this covenant had certain unique qualities, uh, which became tarnished later on because of the sin of disobedience, the Adamic sin, Adam's sin, came into, into the scene. But God's original plan was that this covenant could not be, uh, had a unique quality. It was going to be forever. Uh, today, I want to guide you to exploring these various aspects of, of the marriage com covenant uh, from a biblical perspective. What does the Bible say? I want to guide you to examine the union between Adam and Eve and establish certain parameters that need to be understood and applied to the Christian marriage today. I know that my view is different from society, so I'm not trying to be politically correct. I'm trying to be biblically correct. I'm not for a popularity contest either. So if you send me an email that you don't like it, I will defeat, I will delete it and won't read it. If you got a problem with this, take it up with the man upstairs. Don't kill the messenger for the message today. But I do definitely want to show you what the biblical pattern is. So I'm not anticipating too many amends or maybe after the sermon, too many hugs and saying, Pastor, that was a great sermon. That's okay. You take it up with God. Amen. Uh, so it's going to be different than society. But I'm not doing different just for the sake of being different. It is different because it is biblical. And oftentimes, things that are biblical are different. They don't, they don't line up directly with our, with our, with our cultural context. Uh, but I want you to reflect to me on this pastoral attempt to communicate uh, the biblical perspective of the marriage covenant uh, with the goal of enhancing the relationships for those of you that are already married and also to raise the bar for those that are not married but are thinking about it. Listen to me closely. Wednesday I'll hit this again. But don't cheapen yourself by allowing the standards of society to let you dumb yourself down. Keep the standard high. Keep the standard. You're valuable. You're beautiful. You need to meet somebody that's valuable and beautiful as well. Come on, you can say hallelujah if you can. And if you got angry, say hallelujah anyway. I also want to help those planning to enter Christian marriage, the, that covenant, that we need to have a solid biblical foundation in order to fulfill life. If you listen to God now with regard to what marriage is all about and what singleness is all about, you will need less therapy tomorrow. You will need less medication tomorrow. You will need less anointing with oil and praying to rebuke the demons that are inside of your head if you listen to it carefully right now. And let me stop for a moment, and you need to say hallelujah, praise the Lord, clap your hands, so that I know you're still with me. Okay, you're with me. <laughs> it's important to define the terms. So when I use the term covenant, please understand, it is a contract, but it isn't. It is a convention, but it isn't. It is a treaty, but it isn't. It is a promise, but it isn't. It is a pledge, but it isn't. It isn't. Uh, covenants cannot be altered, changed, or amended. They just are. Let me give you an example. God made a covenant with the people of Israel. And whether you like it or not, 
They're going to be blessed whether you agree with it or not. My advice is don't get mad. Just enjoy the ride. God's going to bless you as well. You know it's true. A Jewish person, person opens up a little kiosk selling buttons for shirts. You come back three years later, they own the whole neighborhood. They're just blessed because God's not going to change the covenant. In fact, even if they follow the Lord or don't follow, God made a covenant that's not changing, cannot be amended, cannot be altered. Think about it in geopolitical ter terms. The nation of Israel is surrounded by all of its enemies. Right now, you look at the map, it's surrounded by all of its enemies. If you look on ge uh, geography, square mileage, the, the nation of Israel is not the largest geographic nation surrounded by all of its enemies. But nobody messes with Israel. Nobody. Because not only do they have a huge, gigantic military force, but they have a, a God who honors covenant. So he's going to protect them. And when they're trying to push them into the Mediterranean, something supernatural happens. And all of a sudden, those huge enemies that were trying to do them under, all of a sudden are defeated because God is a God of covenant. It is no secret that, that let's talk about economy and commerce. It is no secret that the largest purses of finance in the world are owned and controlled by Jewish people. It is no, let's go to academia. There is no secret that, that the, uh, the people with the highest number of PhDs, awards, and, um, and Pulitzer Prizes and all of that is the Jewish community. Now, don't get mad if you're not Jewish. Rejoice. God is a covenant-making God. I'm going to go and help you with this for a moment because it helped me. So the first thing is don't get upset. Why wasn't I born Jewish? Be glad that you're born. <laughs> Amen. So he has a covenant that cannot be altered nor changed. He's going to bless the Jewish people whether you like it or not. But the wonderful thing about this benevolent God is that not only does he bless his people that he's in covenant, but even those that come to him through faith, listen to me closely, and you're going to be blessed as well. So I am not Jewish, but I'm blessed. So I'm not going to let jealousies about some, the Lord blessing a, a nation because he's a covenant-making God. We serve a covenant-keeping a covenant -keeping God. And you are in relationship with him, so you're going to be blessed as well. Is there an amen in the house? You got that? You got that? So marriage is a covenant. It is not a contract. It is not a, a convention, a treaty, a promise. It is a covenant. It is not made to be amended or altered or changed or broken or voided or replaced. There are no, no prenups in the Bible with regard to marriage. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm not making some of you sad. And, and, and if your marriage did not work out, don't leave here feeling like you're a second-class citizen. Listen to me. You tried to make it work. You've worked at making it work. It was not all you, their fault. It's partially your fault, too, because it's never been one person's fault. But it's not all your fault. Don't leave here thinking that, oh, I shouldn't have come this Sunday because pastor is talking about marriage. No, marriage is made up of two healthy single people. Single say hallelujah. hallelujah. And, I, and I'd rather you learn it now from Scripture than later on learning from your friends on Facebook, which aren't your friends anyway, about marriage. <laughs> hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But let's get into the text today, the importance of marriage. First of all, if you want to get married or if you are married, remember that this covenant of marriage is about companionship. Companionship. If you look at verse 18, it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. He was single. God noticed he, wasn't, he didn't go into a prayer fast for 21 days, say, Lord, I don't want to be alone anymore. It says in the text that God saw that, noticed that he was, sing, that he was alone but not lonely, 
And then God said, I will make a helper suitable for him. God was going to make a tailor-made companion for Adam. God saw that man was alone, a position, but not loneliness, an emotional state of being. Did you get that? He says God saw that man was alone, a position. It was positionally alone, but not loneliness. That's an emotional state of being. God decided to make a suitable helper. The word suitable there is rendered in the original language as someone that responds to. So God wanted to uh, connect Adam with someone that would fit perfectly into his temperament, personality, not duplicate Adam, not a clone of Adam, but someone that would complement Adam in this and be his companion. Are you following me? So the covenant of marriage, if you're, if you're married, look at your spouse as a companion, someone suitable to you, someone that offsets the sides of you that need to be offset. The part that brings everything back into balance, a companion, and a companion is someone that walks with you, that is with you, that bees with you, if you will. That's a companion, someone that is responding to the inputs that you put in life. And you know it's true, we, we are people that we, we, are, uh, we respond to the environment that we're in. I've said this before, I said it last week and I just want to repeat it real briefly. If I come up here complaining and all my, me oh my and sad and my head down, before long you're going to be all sad and your head is going to be down as well. And so if the person is your respondent, by the way this applies for man and woman as, as well. If they are a suitable helper, a suitable helper, that term there suitable means a responder, someone who responds to so if you're joyful, the other person is going to become joyful as well. If you're sarcastic and negative all the time, the person is going to become exactly that because they are simply responding to the input that you're giving in their life. This is important, singles. Listen to me closely. If you want to get married and you want to have somebody from this point forward, realize that the person is going to reflect who you are. So if you're going out to have coffee or you're going to have Baskin-Robbins ice cream or wherever else that you go on a date, uh, or you're going to Lancaster, Pennsylvania to see the play that we're going to, or whatever it is that you're going to do, please uh, realize that the person is simply going to respond or, or reflect from you what they're seeing and receiving from you. And this applies to men and women as well. It is a covenant of companionship. Number two, it is also a covenant of exclusivity. Exclusivity. This is important. Verses 19 through 20. I'll start 19. It says, Now the Lord God had formed uh, out of the ground, all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. And then we jump to the last part of verse 20, and he says the following, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. I'm sure Adam had a wonderful time watching the dogs jumping and the birds flying and imagining in his mind that his little cat was actually smiling at him and that the dog flushed the toilet. I'm so let go. So many of you here, my dog, it's a person. It's like sleeps with me, walks with me, bathes with me. Right? Hallelujah. I said that a few weeks ago, and some of you reacted the same way. You say, no, not me, but yes, you. you, you the same shampoo you use, you use it on your dog. You know, you know, it's true. But there's a covenant of exclusivity. Your partner, your person you marry, uh, your, your spouse is not like your pet. It's not someone that will respond to your command. It says that in the text very clearly for me in verse 20, that Eve was exclusively suitable for Adam, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. There's someone that matches you perfectly, that links into those areas of your deficiency, 
that, that, that helps you to be more rounded. And, and I know the longer you're married, the more you look like the person you married. That certainly happened with my parents. My parents were married 67 years. And at the end, my father didn't even have to talk. My mom would read his mind. You know, and they end up. But when you're first starting off, you have to realize that that person might be different than you. But nonetheless, together, you make an entity that is super powerful. And that, that, that's why it's an exclusive relationship. Pastor Ina and I, I'm going to use us for an example. When we go shopping for big ticket items, like if we're going to buy, uh, going out to buy furniture, for example, right? I would never in a million years pick the furniture unless she says it's okay. I'm a smart husband. Hallelujah. But I would also, and she would agree with this, I will then negotiate how much we're going to pay for that. Why? Because she's excellent in putting the colors together, and I'm a blessed man by that, and having the right, all that stuff. But then we already have a signal. She walks away, and then the salesman is all mine. <laughs> so alone, we would not be effective. She would pick the right colors and pay this price. For me, I will pick the wrong colors, but I will not pay this price. You got me. But together, watch out, salesman. You got me? There's an exclusivity. I don't work it out with anybody else, but with her. And then it's, it's almost nonverbal now. You're, you'll know where we're going. When I, when, when I say, okay, baby, is this the color that you like? This is the style that you like? Wait, hold on, salesman. Hold on a minute. Hold on. Is this, is this what you want? Okay, baby. She walks away and goes shopping somewhere else. And then I tell her, I got the salesman down to so you're dangerous together. Are you following me? As a team, there's an exclusivity. And for the marriage, here's my advice. At work on making your marriage exclusive. Have other friends, but no friend like your partner. Have other relationships with people at work and at school and neighbors, but none like the one that you have at home. Man was active and busy with the animals. He was uh, taking care and being the steward, as I preached last week, uh, with, with, with what God had uh, created uh, but his fulfillment was not in the animals or in nature. Listen, go, get into sports, but the exclusivity of your relationship is going to bring you satisfaction beyond any ball playing and any uh, golf and all, all of that stuff. There needs to be an exclusivity with your relationship. Relationships with other human beings will be, with another human being will be exclusive. This one will be exclusive. Note the text. He says in verse 23 at the, at the end, he says, this now is bone of, uh, bone of, uh, Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. There's an ownership that took place. Exclusivity. Singles, understand that. Amen. Don't be co-opted into a relationship that you think that person is going to make you better. There's going to be areas of improvement on your life when you go into a relationship. But there's a third entity, if you will, that is being created that synergistically is happening because of you and your spouse coming together. This third entity comes forward. That's why in marriage, sometimes the husband is down, but the wife is excited. Sometimes the wife is down, but the, the husband is excited. It is in the synergistic clashing together of both coming together that, that progress happens. You run out of ideas as a man and you don't know which way to go, but then your spouse comes up with some creative ideas of getting through the problem. The wife is overwhelmed by, by moments of pain and discouragement, but it is that, that smile, that look, that encouragement, that let's go for a walk, that makes the relationship exclusive. Understand that God is all right with that, with a covenant of exclusivity. Note for me also my third observation in verse 23, and that is that it is not only a covenant of, of companionship and of exclusivity, but it's also a covenant of oneness, 
of oneness. The last part of verse 23 says, she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. I want you to understand this for a moment. Let's, let's unpack the text. Let me unpack the text for you for a moment. Here is Adam, and I'm going to touch it again in, in a recap of one of the other points. He now is um, put to sleep, and he's half awake and half asleep, right? Just coming out of this divine anesthesia. And then as he's waking up, this looks like a fox. In the text, you know what he calls her? He calls her man. Because he had no reference point. If you look at the original, he says, when he looks at here, he says, this is Ishman. Ishman in the original means man, not female, and male, because he had no other reference point. But I want to take this somewhere other than the grammatical differences or idiosyncrasies of that language in our language. I want to take it somewhere else. He saw her as himself. There's a oneness about this. And we need to get to a, a place in our marriage, and for the marriage I'm speaking now, I'm splitting them somewhere in two, place, two pieces. For the marriage, you need to see that that person now, there, there is a oneness connection with that individual, unlike anybody else on earth. Unlike anybody else. For the singles, that's what you should be looking for. Someone that not only complements you, but becomes this connection with you beyond just the physical and beyond just the intellectual. She was extracted from man. She was the external representation of the internal Adam. Did you get this? She's the external representation of the internal Adam. That's what she was. Taken out of him. The bond in marriage places them on a journey of becoming one. She shall become woman, for she was taken out of man. So it's a covenant of oneness. And the longer you walk together, the more oneness happens. When you first, those that are newly married here less than five years, just because we, you said, I do, and we declare you married, doesn't mean that now you become one. It's actually the beginning of becoming one. And those that have been married 10, 20, 30 years, or those that were married before, it is the, in the, the becoming one happens with time, but it's a covenant of oneness, not competition, complementation. So it is a covenant of, of companionship, of exclusivity, a covenant of oneness. But look at this fourth observation. It is also a covenant of boundaries. Listen closely. Verse 24 says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother. This is crazy because I just taught you in session number one that the, New Testament, that the Old Testament, God renders family as an institution he created. He lifts up and highlights family. And now, and now, not Adam, but God is saying through this text that now we need to leave family. Is that what he's saying? No. He's saying here that we need to establish boundaries. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united. Let me explain the word united that you see up there. The word united is not just coming together and walking together. In the original language, it's rendered at soldering. And anybody here that knows anything about metals, when you solder two metals together, if you're a really good person who knows how to solder, that joint will actually be stronger than the rest of the metal. So he's using that terminology here of united. He's saying, for this reason, what reason? A man and a woman coming together, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and they will become one flesh. Boundaries, 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 boundaries. When I was um, uh, growing up with my, in my home, one of my brothers um, had a fuss with his wife. 
And I remember this little guy, must have been maybe 10 years old or something like that. He had a fuss with his wife. And so in the middle of the night, I remember waking up and hearing this. He's knocking on the door, and there he is. They had a fuss with his wife. And my mom and my dad look at him, and he's there at the door. It was the middle of the night, you know. Had a fuss with my wife. My parents said the following. You stay here overnight, but you got to go back tomorrow. Go talk to your wife. Fix it. Some parents, come in, baby. Chucky, fix the room. The baby's staying here. I told you she was no good for you. You could stay here as long as you want. Come, come. She was no good for you. Parents, we got to be careful. Establish boundaries. You don't want your daughter, your son sleeping overnight in a car. That's fine. But the next day, they got to go back and face the music. They were adults when they said, I do. Let them be adults now when there's problems. Boundaries. Boundaries. Oh, she doesn't cook for you? Come on, baby. I know, I know what you like. Listen, if she's not cooking, let him starve. Too much for you? Don't raise your hand, but how many people here, men or women, because now it's men or women, that went into marriage, don't raise your hand, that knew how to, didn't know how to cook and now know how to cook? Right? In fact, raise your hand. It's certainly me. I didn't know how to cook. I didn't even know how to boil water. I couldn't make tea. But I learned why. Because when you're hungry, No, the room is here. We, when you got married, we left this room just for such a... Boundaries, parents. Boundaries. They're not working. Keep an eye on them. Barring an emergency. Bar, barring an emergency. That's different. Emergencies are different. You know, you take them in as long as you need to. But we're too quick in smudging the lines of boundaries. And I'm talking now directly to parents and adults. Be careful because what happens is we're creating even a worse dysfunction in that marriage. They need to learn to, to deal with stuff on their own and to work stuff out on their own, and to manage things on their own. You know, they don't have enough money, and every two minutes they're coming over asking for money. Do it the first time if it's an emergency, but after a while, let them deal with it. Don't take sides. Boundaries. Boy, the, the amen stopped here a long time ago. And I know if I called up some of you on testimonials, the reason your marriage fell apart is because he was a mama's boy, she was a mama's uh, girl. In many relationships, that's what it was. Everything else. Oh, we're going to go on vacation, honey. That's fantastic. Oh, that's great. You got to, okay, give me a minute. I need to call mommy. <laughs> what? <laughs> you make pancakes that way. My mother never made pancakes that way. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, he comes over with a bag of clothes. <laughs> mommy, the wash. The first night you do the wash. After that, let him put on dirty underwears. Or her. That too much for you? Because it's true. What we do is we enable dysfunction. He's saying here, I, this is the way I read it, there were boundaries. God himself said, listen, a man will leave his father and mother. He's almost arguing against his original premise of family and say they will be. We don't establish boundaries and live by boundaries. They will not become one flesh. Let them leave. They lived down the block. They didn't have any sugar for the coffee. Let them drink coffee without sugar. You say, boy, pastor, you're so cruel. No, I'm trying to help you. I don't want more counseling sessions with people in this house. There's an ulterior motive here. Hallelujah. Why are you doing that? No, because he likes it. Let him learn to like something else. Or her. Oh, come on, say hallelujah if you can. I'm the only one that knows how to comb his hair. Let him go with hair messed up. That's the style anyway. 
And I'm talking from a guy that when I got married, I didn't do anything at home. My wife will say amen right now because you know it's true. My mom did everything. But in the first six months, I became real smart and learned real fast. You throw it on the floor, it's going to be on the floor. Hallelujah. And my wife takes care of me, but I'm just saying. Huh? We need to establish boundaries. He says, listen, uh, uh, establish, uh, uh, he says here, leave mother and father. Be united with his, with his wife. Singular. Cleave, bond, together. They will become one flesh. You are no longer married to the same person. But let me go further with boundaries. That's your, bro your brother or your sister. But now you've established a new family. I'm hanging out with my brother. Okay, but you got to go home. You have a wife or you have a husband to take care of. Well, I've got my bowling friends. You know, you know, before we got married, I told you, I always play sports in the morning. On Saturday morning, I'm gone. The morning all the way to the end of the day. Okay, that's fine, but now you're married. So let's, let's, let's go fire some ball players and let's go burn some fields down. And you got garbage to throw out. You got uh, dishes to, to, to dish. Come on, come on. You knew I was always a, a workaholic. Work. But if you don't take care of your family, somebody else will. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah again. Boundaries. Establish boundaries. For this reason, a man will leave his father and be united with his wife, and they will become one flesh. You will never become one flesh, that process, lifelong process, unless you establish boundaries. Just because you have keys for your children's apartment, and now they're living, they're married, and they don't know, that doesn't mean give you license to go in there anytime you want to. Those keys are for emergencies. They're off on vacation. You're going, let me see what they have. What does she feed him? I'm going to pray that if you do that, the Holy Ghost go meet you in that apartment and spook you out. How dare you? Hallelujah. Come on, you know it's the truth. Stop interfering. Mom, stop interfering. Dad, stop. Be, be concerned. My, my oldest boy, Tim, you know him well. He has three little girls, right? I, I love them. They take advantage of me all the time, and I love it. Just go ahead. Whatever you want. I, uh, now, he, he's learned, and Matthew the same way. I ask them frequently, you guys doing okay? I, mean, I don't want my kids living out, you know, deprived of what they need. My son tells me, Dad, we're handling it, we're managing it. That's Tim talking to me. You know how expensive it is to, to raise kids, right? But no, we don't, we're there, we'll be the net. If you need something, talk to, you know, we'll talk. But all this thing about bailing out, you put up the charge cards, you play it off. You got into debt, you manage it. I know the amends stop right now. Oftentimes, we're bailing out. And I'm going to talk about my kids right now. They're really good. My, my kids, I'm blessed. Not only with my sons, but with my daughters-in-law, which are like my daughters. But you ask, yes, do you need anything? Are you okay? But this constant smudging the line. Oh, do I, I hear the Holy Ghost knocking on the, the door of your heart. They're going to be frustrated. They're going to be unhappy. Let them deal with their stuff. Let them deal with, your, with their stuff. You know, he needs to go to the doctor and doesn't make an appointment. You don't need to do the appointment. He, they, she moved out. Hallelujah. Woo. Praise the Lord. It got heavy in here. Air conditioner on full blast now. Because 
Lord, say boundaries with me. Say it again, boundaries with me. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united, soldered to his wife, and they will become one flesh. So it's the covenant of companionship, covenant of exclusivity, covenant of oneness, covenant of boundaries. And now the last one I want to deal with right now is verse 25. It is a covenant of intimacy. Intimacy. It says, the, uh, the man and his wife were both naked. Say naked with me. Naked. Say naked again. Naked. Say it without being embarrassed. Say naked. naked. And it says, and they felt no shame. Now, some in a quick read of this text <clears throat> will conclude, and rightly so, but it's only the partial interpretation, that naked men naked, no clothes on. But we need to apply it a bit further than that. And singles understand this as well. It's definitely physical, the physical aspect, but it is also about being emotionally naked, of being intellectually naked. It's about being socially naked. And simply what the word naked here means, and the, the term here, a covenant of, of intimacy, that you need to be able to start working at getting your guard down with this person that you love, according to 1 Corinthians 13. You love them and let love be the driving force and, and start getting the guard down. Oftentimes, not oftentimes, but all the time. If you go into a relationship totally about the physical intimacy or nakedness, the marriage is not going to be fulfilling. That has to be one of the components of an effective marriage or an effective relationship. You are a sexual being. You are a physical being. If you, it's always intellectual. Imagine if you get married and on the honeymoon, you want to talk to your spouse about the three books that you read last week. Forget the books. <laughs> hey, if we can't talk about it here, is that all right? And so intimacy means this vulnerability, this... this um, that I'm going to be able to bear my soul. Now watch this for a moment, because you cannot speak who you are to just anyone. Some people will use that information and hurt you big time. So I'm not promoting in any way that you just blurt out all your feelings and emotions to anybody, no. But when you're in a covenant relationship with somebody, as in marriage, when you're in a covenant relationship, you should be able to have no secrets. You should be able to go into this place of this is who I am and fully understand the most excellent way as we see Paul teaching in, into the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 13. That is the most excellent way. If you've not had that, that's what you need to be striving for, singles. Someone that will not judge you by what you say or what you do or the mistakes that you may, made. 1 Corinthians says very clearly that love, true love, keeps no record of wrong. So if somebody keeps throwing at you something that you did 12 years ago, something is wrong with that relationship. It's repairable. Listen to me. It's repairable, but something is wrong. When the reference point is the last thing you did that really hurt me. And hurting is mutually exclusive. In fact, hurting, you do as much hurting as the hurting that you get. We all hurt and we all get hurt. Yes? Okay? But we have to realize that in a, in, a, in a covenant of intimacy where both were naked, it says they felt no shame. It simply means the word shame means that they were not hiding anything from this person that was in their life. Singles, if you can't be honest with yourself, you're going to have a hard time in relationship from a biblical perspective. Because what's going to happen is because you're not vulnerable even to yourself, you're going to have those same barriers when you enter into a relationship, a covenant of marriage with someone else. 
to honestly assess yourself. Naked, exposed, vulnerable to each other. It is those moments when you can share your heart's dreams and your heart's frustration to the person that you love, that you're married to, and they won't judge you for it. It's the person you can tell them, I'm having a hard time praying about this and dealing with this, and I really hate that person, but they won't look at you funny when you come to the Sunday service and you can still lift up your hands and worship the Lord, knowing what they know about you. Are you following me? Intimacy requires that the, the person doesn't use what you're saying, what you're sharing as ammunition to get you down. Not as license to look away like nothing's, nothing's happened, but on the contrary, that they help you to navigate the disappointments in, in life. How many people here have gone through disappointments in life and in a relationship? So it's a covenant of intimacy. A man and a wife were both naked and they felt no shame, feeling no shame. The longer you are together, the more comfortable you become and the safer you feel in exposing who you are to that person, even when it is not what that person wants to hear. Very powerful, church. This one is very, very powerful. Because otherwise, if we keep hiding, we, we keep playing this thing of hide and seek with our emotions. And I believe that when we're entering into a covenant relationship, whether it's with God or with the person that God has brought into our lives, we need to start pushing and moving forward on this thing of being vulnerable. Being vulnerable. But you can't be vulnerable with just anyone. You have to be careful. So, so how do I apply all of this? Singles, uh, come to grips with who you are. Come to grips that God made you complete, that you are a number one, one and only. Work hard in those areas of your deficiency in your life so that you can be truly a catch and truly attracted and attractive to somebody else. Those that are married, you need to work hard and, and, at seeing yourself in the eyes of the other person. And allow the Holy Spirit to come in and help you to mold and shape and become that vessel of honor, pleasing unto God. For those that have suffered failures in the, in the past of relationships, stop beating yourself. Learn from the mistakes that were made. Invite the Holy Spirit into your heart and into your life and into your mind. That he would guide you to be able to be a, a better grounded person. An individual that is Again, pleasing unto the Lord. If you notice, and I'm closing, if you notice the link in all of this up to this third session is Christ. That's the link. The link to make you better is to enter into that relationship with the Lord. The link to make you have a fulfilled marriage or sing, if you, 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 you say, I'm not marrying anyone, I'm going to stay by myself. Praise the Lord. If that's what you want, glory, hallelujah. <clears throat> the choirs in heaven are singing. <clears throat> Great. But get closer to the Lord. Let him work as the, the, the clay is, is placed on the potter's wheel. And let the Lord mold you and shape you to his liking. But please, please, don't use the standard of secularism. Use the standard of the word. If you're single or if you're married, don't dumb down the line. Keep the standard high. Don't rationalize anybody's behavior. Don't excuse away people's attitudes. Keep your standard high, realistically high, okay? Realistically high. Because some people have it so high, they're never going to be able to. Realistically high, okay? Realistically high. Let the Lord guide you in that. 
<clears throat> and if you're married, learn to forgive, learn to move forward, learn to communicate, learn to address issues, and move forward. I believe that when we do that, then marriage becomes so important. Relationship and family will become so effective in us as well. Let's bow our heads.